Welcome. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the lead pastor here. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning. And if you are a guest and you maybe knew that the last few weeks, uh, today we are wrapping up a series that we started seven weeks ago. Today is the eighth week. And we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, uh, looking at what it means to be rooted. Uh, that, that means how do we, in our relationship with God, put roots down so that we can really grow? Uh, not in a super superficial sense, but, but in a way that, that actually will cause growth that will last uh, for our lifetime. And we've been looking at three ways that that happens. Digging deep uh, with God, first and foremost, getting to know Him through the Scriptures. Uh, digging deep with each other, actually building relationships that, that will last and are meaningful where we do life together. And then we talked about drawing wide. And, and as Joel and Emily just announced, uh, next week as we launch two services, that is our intent, to be rooted, to draw wide, to tell more people about the person of Jesus. And one of the ways you do that practically as a church is you, you actually have to make room for more people. You have to make more room in the parking lot. You have to make more room in the kids' space so that when people come, uh, there's room for them. They feel welcomed. And so that's part of us being rooted as a church and drawing wide to include more people in the work that God wants to do here at Ridgeview. And then we've talked also in this series, and part of our initiative this year is to stand strong. How do we band together uh, in this world in light of the many challenges that we face? And today, I'm going to specifically be going to talk about how do we stand strong against a spiritual attack? How do we stand strong against some of the strategies that the enemy wants to use to, to slow us down, to discourage us, to cause us to devi- deviate from, from God's plan? But before we jump in, uh, to this week and closing out the book of Ephesians, I just want to catch you up, and I'm going to go through this very quickly, but just as a way to give you the themes of the book of Ephesians. One of the things that's helpful uh, when you dig into Scripture is you want to be reading the words, and you want to read words that form sentences, and they're in verses and paragraphs, but then you want to take a step back and you say, what, what's the theme of this section of Scripture? What's the theme of this chapter? What's the theme of this book? And so what I want to do is just highlight what we've spent the last seven weeks talking about so that you can catch up on the themes. And so uh, we started week one uh, talking about, uh, if you could put that on the screen there, uh, being rooted in hope and the hope that's found in Jesus alone. The next week, go ahead and just, I'm going to rapid fire, being rooted in grace, how the grace of Jesus enables us to have a new life, a life of purpose. The week after that, uh, we talked about peace. So we've got hope, we've got grace. And we've got peace, all that we can find in the Christian life as we walk with God and that it's drawn out in this book of Ephesians. The week after that, we talked about being rooted in purpose, what's God's plan for us. The week after that, uh, we talked about rooted for community. And so this is where the shift happens in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, chapter 1 through chapter 3, talk about uh, why we can be rooted. Why can we have hope? Why can we have hope, Greek grace and, and peace? And then Chapters four through six talk about how. So one through three, the why, and then four through six, the how. And so we started shifting, talking about how because of the hope that we have, because of the grace we have and the purpose, we can be rooted for community. This church can exist because of the roots that we have in Christ. This church can accomplish the purposes of God because of the purposes and the grace that we have in Christ. And then we talked after that, uh, being rooted for holiness, set apart for God and his purposes, then we talked about the week after that, uh, being rooted to relate. We dug into marriage uh, and the family. And so that covers Ephesians chapters 1 
through five, and then today we're gonna close it out looking at Ephesians chapter six, and that's being rooted to stand strong. Um, What I wanna do is talk about a spiritual reality, and the nature of a spiritual reality is something that you cannot see, uh, but it is real. And sometimes in this world especially, because you can't see it, sometimes you think that it's not real. Because seeing is believing, right? If I can get my hands around something, if I can experience something with all my senses, I, I know it's real. It's like you walk into Bath and Body Works and you're like, that's real, that those senses are overwhelmed. You ever done that? It's like, I, I, can, I can get something going on, but sometimes in spiritual nature, it's like it, it doesn't impact us in the same way. Like we can't feel it. Our senses aren't there. We can't see it and, and therefore we, we wonder if it's true. But the spiritual reality is something that you, you actually have to come to understand. The scriptures are given to us to understand it more, but, it, but it's something that's very real even though we can't see it. And God is in the spiritual realm. He works in the world. Lord willing, you've had an experience with God yourself and you've seen firsthand and experienced firsthand him working in your life. Maybe it was a young age. Maybe you know from an early age that God saved you from maybe some really dangerous decisions or he came through for you in specific ways, or or maybe it's been even more recent in adult life. You've seen God come through. You've experienced him. You haven't seen him, but you experienced the truth that he's real. God is spiritual. He works in the world. He draws people to himself. He saves people. Through the work of Christ, we can actually be reconnected to him. We can relate to him. This is all happening in the spiritual realm. We relate to God here and now on planet earth, but there's transactions happening in a spiritual realm because that's what God is. That's who God is. And he sits on the throne of the entire universe, but that's not all the story of the spiritual reality. There's another side, and there's a spiritual enemy, Satan, the devil, Lucifer. Remember growing up, the cartoons, you'd have the, like, the little guy with a pitchfork? You guys know what I'm talking about? Remember old school? They talked about good and evil back in the day. It actually existed, even on like public television. You see like the little red devil on one and then God on the other or an angel. And it's just the battle of which one do you listen to? So we have an image of that, but you can't see. There's no pitchfork that you see or horns, but the enemy is real. He's a spiritual being. Uh, He has a specific strategy and goal and his goals are against God's goals. And because of that, there's a cosmic war. And so I want to bring you into this context because today we're going to be talking about things that um, Hollywood and culture, they, they, they actually are very fascinated in. There's many movies about the spiritual forces of evil. You know, these are ones for myself. I'm not into those kinds of movies, but when those comes on the preview, I'm like, oh my goodness, what kind of a movie is this going to be if these are the previews that they're showing? You ever experienced that? But it's, it's the horror. It's the exorcism. It's just this, this like fascination with these things uh, even evil, something in it like it fascinates us. The other side of fascination, oftentimes in the spiritual realm, is fear. And so I want to talk about those two things because it's very important. As we talk about spiritual issues, it's very real. You can't see it, but it's real. And it, and it happens here and now, and it impacts us. But we don't want to be fascinated to the point where we, we get into things that, that we want to know that we shouldn't know. There's a fascination which it kind of piques our interest. And so we need to be careful. The second is fear. When you start talking about evil and we talk about spiritual forces and you talk about the heavenly realms, 
There's something in you which can begin to just be concerned about things that you maybe know is real, but, but you're afraid of. But what happens is you get into fascination and you get into fear. You, you actually get in a territory of unfaith. There's just certain things we don't understand, but faith is that, that God will help us in our time of need. And then the fear side is when fear comes, we have to choose faith that, that God will help us and protect us. So I just want to say that because that's not a category that exists oftentimes, especially with evil. We like to be fascinated or we like to be fearful. But actually, the scriptures tell us neither. We have to choose to have faith instead of those things. And so what I want to do is I want to dig into the scriptures and then kind of unpack what Paul wants us to see. So as I read this, I'm going to read a lot of it. I pay attention to the themes. So Paul is writing this, very interestingly, from prison. He's been persecuted. His freedom is taken. And he's wrote all of these things so far to this early church in the city of Ephesus. And he's saying, like, listen, you have so much treasure in Christ, you can't fathom it. You have so much purpose and so much hope and so much grace that you can't even comprehend it. But notice this is not where he ends. This is the last section. This is the last thing he wants the church to, to hear, to focus on. So pay attention to, to these themes. And you'll see it on the screen. And then also, um, if you're new to Ridgeview, or we maybe never pointed this out, every week we have a program that you have your connection card in. And there's also a handout. And that handout has space on it for you to be able to take notes. It's also for you to be able to read the scriptures. That's for you to take with you. You can also find the handout on the Church Center app as a resource as well. So use that for you. This is so you can begin to think and write and take notes uh, yourself. So let's read this together, Ephesians 6. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So Paul is just saying, everything we've talked about, everything I've written, finally, be strong. But not in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Then he goes on, therefore, so that was big. He just said, reality check. There's a spiritual war going on. I hope I have your attention is what he's saying is just pay attention. This is important. Finally, listen to what I'm saying. And then he goes on, therefore, because that's true, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and all circumstance, take up the shield of faith which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, before I go on to the next verse, this is very interesting. What Paul is doing is actually highlighting the themes which we've already pointed out in the book of Ephesians. It's very interesting as he's talking about the armor, he's tying it to everything that we have, the treasures in Christ. Notice the themes. He's talking about peace. We've talked about that. He's talking about faith. We've talked about that. He talks about the gospel, which we've talked about. So he's saying, like, remember, everything I've written is not just for you to be filled with knowledge, but everything is written so that you can know how to fight. You can know how to stand. You can know how to stand strong, which means you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Then it goes on. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel 
for which I am ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I love how he ends. He's talking about standing. And then he's talking about armor, how you defend. And then he talks about the sword, how you fight. But then he ends with this forward momentum and movement to the mission of God. Having this armor to stand, having all the treasures that I've been given to allow me to boldly proclaim the difference that Jesus makes in a life. What sometimes happens in the spiritual realm is we tend to think of things that are, that, that are real but don't impact us. What Paul's saying, these are very real to the very point that your life could be transformed. The mission that you give yourself to can change. So what I want to do is I want to dig in, kind of unpack the themes and, and talk about the impact of us. What does this mean for us here and now? And so I want to start with the reality of the battle. Uh, this first point, the reality of the battle, if you could put that on there, is this. We have an enemy who schemes against us. This is very important. If you don't know the reality of the battle, then you do not what? Fight. If you don't think you're in a battle, you don't fight. So this is part of the Christian life. If you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, if you're exploring what it means to give your whole life to him to become a Christian, it doesn't mean that your whole life, you'll just have this sweet background music everywhere you go now and everything will come together. No, 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 no. I get everything I ever asked for. No, it's actually, you've been in a battle, but you've been chained and you've been in darkness. When you decide to follow Christ, your chains are cut and now you're on the front lines and there's a target on you. The target on you is different when you're not a Christian. Why? Because you're in the dungeons of darkness. You're a prisoner of war. When you become a Christian, you're set free now to be a part of God's release of other prisoners. You're now on the offensive. But you have to know that this reality exists. And the scriptures tell us in verse 11. Let's go back to that. It says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil Schemes is, is a very interesting word. It, it actually means craftiness. The enemy is much more than horns and a pitchfork. The enemy is crafty. Another kind of definition of it is, is cunning. In fact, the Greek word for schemes is where we get the word methods. There's methods he uses to get you. He has a strategy, and it's systematic. And it's to take us out. Remember what I said about fear? You're like, well, what? But it's true. We have to be aware that the enemy is scheming. I just want to highlight some things of the enemy just because there are some misconceptions based on our own experiences, based on movies, based on all sorts of things. Uh, Satan, like I mentioned, he is a spirit being. Uh, he's the head over the demonic realm. Uh, he's not all powerful like God. God is all-powerful. Satan is not. Uh, but he does have great power. He's not omniscient. Omniscient means all-knowing. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Uh, Satan is not. But he has great knowledge. And he leads a demonic information network. There's legions, which is really like millions and millions of demons. And somehow there's this information network that works. And they communicate and they can 
have information that crosses the, the globe. Uh, he's not omnipresent. Why the legions of demons is so important. Omnipresent means he's everywhere at all times like God is. But the enemy is not. He's not omnipresent. He's a localized being, but again, with a pervasive demonic following. And he can impact things over a large area because of that. Uh, the enemy, though, is, is created. Who's he created by? God. I heard a mentor say, there is a devil, but he's God's devil. God is still sovereign, and God is still in control. He has some power, but God is the ultimate one who sits on the throne, and he sees everything that happens. And there are some boundaries that God sets, but he is powerful. He's extremely shrewd, the enemy. He's a sinner from the beginning. He's ruthless. There's no good in him. He's the evil one. The scriptures describe him in John 8, 44, a liar, deceiver, and the originator of lies. Lying exists in this world because the enemy exists, because Satan is real. He's also a murderer. But more than that, he schemes and he strategizes. He's cunning, he's crafty, which means he does things to impact you, which oftentimes you don't see coming. And he does things that he knows will work. If you're a crafty person, you know how to get what you want. As a toddler, we can be very cunning. If dad says no, who do we ask? Mom. Everyone here is like, that's not how it works. If, if mom says no, you ask dad. But as a kid, you figure that out real quick. Well, the enemy is much more shrewd. He has this cunning that, that we can't comprehend. Uh, in the scriptures, there's the themes that, that describe what Satan's strategy does. I just want to highlight these. Uh, he deceives the world. Revelation 12, 9. So the world is heading in a direction that's contrary to the ways and the things of God because the enemy deceives them. So culture and media, these powerful influences where you wonder like, wow, that's so evil, that's so wrong. The enemy's in the middle of that working. He, he's a deceiver. Uh, he removes the word from minds of inquirers. So there's people that are interested in the ways and the things of God and they have some truth, and what the enemy wants to do is remove that truth from them, actually get them to the point where they forget it. Because if they don't have the truth, they just, they wander. Uh, he stirs persecution against the church, Revelation 2.10. He hinders legitimate Christian leaders. In Matthew 26, he strikes the shepherd to scatter the flock. The enemy does that. He frustrates the plans and projects of Christian workers, 1 Thessalonians 2.18. He plants in the church false Christians who create all kinds of problems, Matthew 13. He attacks individual Christians, 1 Peter 5.8. He spreads false doctrine in the church. He enables the rise of illegitimate, divisive, and destructive leaders. You see this in the book of Acts, Acts 20 and Acts 5. Provides a divisive strategy for those driven by selfish ambition and bitter envy. That's why the scriptures say, watch out for selfishness and bitter envy, because when you get into that thing, the enemies think, great, I've got somebody I can work with. This happens in the church as well. Traps ill-qualified leaders in shameful behavior, disgracing the church. Have you read headlines of pastors of churches, of ministries that have to leave because of what they've done? When that happens, the enemy is so pleased. He's in there working to bring down the church. 
sends in impressive and legitimate sounding false teachers who deceive the naive and create divisions. Romans 16, 2 Corinthians 11. And then captures Christians and uses them to do his will, to damage the church. Oftentimes when they think they're doing the will of God. 2 Timothy 2, 15. This is throughout the New Testament. This is throughout Scripture. The Old Testament, you see it too. God's people brought out from slavery. Moses goes to get the very commandments from God and God's people literally worship an idol. And Moses' right-hand man, Aaron, creates and carves it. I mean, the enemy is at work all the time. And so Paul is saying, listen, we have an enemy who is scheming. If you're not aware of the schemes and you're not in battle mode, you're going to face a lot of problems in your life. You're going to face the problems either way, but you're not going to make the progress that God wants to bring. So we have an enemy who schemes, and we have to fight in a certain way, and we have to stand in a certain way so that we can stand against these schemes. This instruction from Paul is very, very helpful. So another reality of the battle, not only do we have an enemy who schemes, but we are in a spiritual war. This spiritual dimension is is real. Check out the scriptures in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, see the imagery, scheming and then wrestling. This is like Greco-Roman, grab a hold so you can throw your opponent down. And slight movements, hand-to-hand combat. This is up close. This is personal. This is wrestling. And leverage points to take you down. And so he's saying, listen, we're not even wrestling with the things that you even see on this earth, the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul's saying is, there's more than you can see. And oftentimes there's more than you can even understand. I'm going to share a quick story. Years ago, we moved into a new neighborhood uh, in Ontario. We bought our first house, and we were so excited. First house, be in the neighborhood, and meet our neighbors, and, and really to share Christ with them, to be a light in our neighborhood. That's always our goal. That's always what we pray for. And we had an opportunity. It was like the national night out where all the neighbors come out and meet each other and hang out And we were so excited for this opportunity. All of a sudden, our son, Levi, was very young. He spiked a fever. And he's, you know, contend to spike high fevers, but it just came out of nowhere. So we're checking his temperature, and it was like 103. It's like 104, just just out of nowhere. I'm thinking, this is, like, we've been waiting for this opportunity with, with our neighbors. We've been just praying for this, and this, this fever just spikes. And so my wife and I were trying to figure out what we should do, and, and I just had this sense from God, like, you need to move forward in faith. And we began to pray, God, will you just bring the, the fever down? Will you, will you help uh, Levi? And, and nothing was wrong with him except this fever. So we were monitoring and checking, and we decided to go out. We meet our neighbors, and we made key connections. We were able to bridge to their lives, as soon as we came home and walked through the door, his fever was gone immediately. There's things that happen that can be spiritual in nature. 
I don't know, maybe he just got a fever for 45 minutes or an hour that we were out there. Somehow, it's an hour fever. Or maybe there was something else going on. And so there is a category of the spiritual dimension which exists, which can impact us. And there's also decisions that we make, and there's the world, and there's our own stuff, and those are all intertwined. But I've had many situations like that where I can see there's something else going on. Some of our most agitated moments in the Barrett houses are Sunday morning. You ever had that? You drive to church, you ever just so mad at each other, you don't even want to sit together. You're glad there's two services. You go to the first, I'm going to the second next week. <laughs> you ever had that? Or your kids just, it, you know, you're, you're trying to do something, you're trying to do something good, and just, it seems like there's something going on with your kids. There's just this, this just rebellion or this just tension, and you, you don't know what to do with it, and sometimes it comes out of nowhere. Now, as a parent, if your kid acts up, you don't necessarily want to say, mm, devil? You know, you don't want to necessarily say that. <laughs> Just, you know, Pastor Alex said I could call that out. <laughs> but, but there are things that are going on. Oftentimes, we fail to think, could the enemy be doing anything here to stop some purposes that we need to do? Even being here. The enemy doesn't want you to come to church. He doesn't want you to be in a group. He doesn't want you to read your scriptures. He doesn't want you to pray. When you decide you're gonna give to help people and to be generous, something will break at your house. I don't know how many stories I've seen again and again of people who are serious about walking with God. They're finally getting traction and they get a job offer and they move. I don't know how many times that's happened. They're spiritual forces of evil all sorts of things that happen. And we don't know all the degree to what's going on. We can't see it. But what Paul is saying is there's things that are higher up, there's these powers, and then there's cosmic powers, there's world rulers that even can be impacted by the purposes of Satan to do what he wants. And this is all happening on this heavenly realm in this spiritual uh, plane. I wanna bring this up because this is very important as it relates to expectations. Uh, here, here's a picture of a, of a boat. What, what do you think of when you see that? What comes to your mind? Yell it out. Food, I heard. Vacation. What was it? Fun. Relaxation. Seasick. Way to balance it. Yeah. I need those little things behind my ear or the bracelet, right? Anything else? What's that? <laughs> wow, guys, we're a cynical bunch. Infection. They couldn't pay me to go on that boat. Oftentimes, when we, we think of following Christ, we think of the Christian life, that's what we think. God, it's just like going to be at a buffet where I can get whatever I want at any time. It's going to be comfortable. It's going to be helpful to what I need. But the Christian life is not this boat. It's this next one. What's that? That's a battleship. Remember the game? You sunk my battleship. That's what the enemy wants to do. 
He wants to, sh- to, to sink your battleship. But if we think we're on a cruise, even better for him. Where's the pool on the battleship? You see it? Where's the, where's the sun deck? Where's, the, where's the, the jacuzzi? You see it? Where's the spa? The massage room? You guys see it? No. The expectation of the reality of the life we live is very important. The thing is about this is if you look back at the cruise ship compared to this, you're like, oh, that's an easy choice. Why would I ever want to go on that? But for those who are fighting, there's no place they'd rather be than when their brothers, their sisters, shoulder to shoulder, fighting the battle they've been given. That's the Christian life. But the enemy wants us to think cruise ship, which leads to disappointment, which leads to discontentment. And the battle that we face most of the time is in our hearts. It's within us. It's very subtle. When there's discouragement, the enemy is there. When there's disappointment, when you're discontent, when you're complaining, when you're arguing, when you begin to veer and you see there's opportunity to get what you want outside of the boundaries of God, the enemy's there. Oftentimes, we get off the battleship and we get to the cruise ship and that's where we're taken out. Because it feels like it's cost us too much. So what Paul is saying is, listen, we're in a spiritual war. We have an enemy who's gonna scheme. But God will give you what you need. And here's the reality. A, A fallen soldier can't help the cause. You're sent away. And so the enemy wants to maim us, to take us out. And he talks of just this, this day of evil, what, what Paul describes. And I want to just talk a little bit about the nature of the battle we, we fight. There's some days which can be exceptionally bad, exceptionally bad days. Um, annoyance, pressure, dread, discouragement. Have you ever just woken up and you're kind of mad? Thanks. I, I have this sometimes where I'm just like, I don't even know what's wrong, but something's wrong. I'm just kind of mad, or I'm short, or I'm annoyed. Or, there's just some days which seem exceptionally bad. Things look darker. They feel darker. There's pressure. There's dread. There's discouragement. There's annoyance, and it's overwhelmingly pressing down upon you. Paul's saying those evil days come. So when he's talking about this, this battle It's in those evil days where your alert has to be, I'm in battle mode, I'm on the battleship right now, and I have God, my commander, leading me forward. God, help me to stay in my position. Because exceptionally bad days come. And there's attack that happens, and it's hand-to-hand combat, it's intense and personal, and there's subtle strategies. There's certain moves that the enemy knows will get you every time and he'll get me. He knows certain things to get you off your right calibration. Put a little seeds of doubt in you. Plant some seeds that you're you're scum or the opposite side, that you have it all together. And the enemy does that. His strategies make you feel terrible about your life, make you feel like you have it all together. It's just a tennis match, and you're the ball. 
That's the battle that we face. That's part of that, that wrestling. Not a lot of good news yet, right? But we need to be aware of these things. We're on, we're on a battleship. But there is some good news. So let's turn the corner. How, how do we stand uh, strong? When we talk about spiritual things, especially the theme, what Paul is saying, is you don't have to look for this spiritual fight. You don't have to go look for it. Why? It will find you. So notice the posture of the fight isn't to take out the devil. In fact, in the scriptures, it's saying he's actually waiting and watching like a lion. He's ready to devour. So he, he comes to us, but here's the good news. We have a God who leads us forward in uh, the battle. This, to me, is the most important thing we're going to talk about. Is it really important to know we're in a spiritual battle? Yes. That we're not on a cruise ship, we're on a battleship? Yes. That the enemy is scheming? Yeah. It's very important. That's why it's in the Word of God. But the whole narrative of the spiritual battle rests on this. We have a God who leads us forward in the fight. A God who leads us forward uh, in the battle. And Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not in yourself. Not in your accolades. Not in your intelligence. Not in your success. Your strength is in the Lord and the strength of his might. God's strength is stronger than Satan's. You guys hear that? It's very important. God's strength is stronger than Satan's. In fact, the scriptures remind us that the battle has already been won. It was won when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And the righteousness that we thought we had, we look and see, I have nothing to offer. And it's only the righteousness of Christ that saves me, that makes me clean, that makes me holy, that can allow me to be a part of this battle. Hebrews 2.14 talks about the death blow that happened on the cross. That's why we can be strong in the Lord and his might. He's already done what's needed. It's over, it's written. The battle still goes on, but we know the victory has happened. It's been completed because of what Christ has done. But we have to remember that. We have to recall that uh, to mind. And so when you read the scriptures, that's how you're strong in the Lord. It's truth that reminds you of the strength you have and the power you have. So oftentimes I used to think like, you know, spending time with God in a quiet time is like optional. Like, you know, it's a good idea if you have time. And then you look at people and you're like, how much time do you have? I don't have time. Okay, so it's good, but you don't have time. I don't have time. We don't need to do it. But I had a mentor that described, actually, your, your quiet time and, and your time with God is like, you're, you're by a, a campfire in the middle of this prairie. 
And when you're beginning to go to bed, you're kind of hearing some howls. And you look out and you kind of see some eyeballs. And our quiet time is the fire. It's the flame. And when we say, you know what, it's not that important to spend time in God, like with God in scriptures. It's not really that important to, to memorize it because I don't have the time. And it's not as entertaining as my phone or everything else I have going on. And what begins to happen is, is the fire dies down. But you're still on the prairie. And there's still things out there. And what happens when the fire dies down? They come closer. And the eyeballs that were distant are now closer. So that changes perspective a little bit, really, right? I'm on the prairie. I'm in a fight. And to fan the, the flame, the fuel, is my time with God. It actually pushes the enemy back. And so that's what it means to be strong in the Lord, in his commands, in his ways. I want to know him. I want to ask him for help in the middle of the battle. Another way we stand strong and what Paul talks about with this, this imagery of the, arm, the armor, which is so helpful. It says the church is a spiritual army and God has given us the armor needed in the fight. So we're told to stand strong. We're told to be strong in God. And then Paul describes how we do that. Put on the whole armor of God. That's verse 11. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Those exceptional bad days. You just, you've got to put the armor on. You've got to fight. And the idea is you put on this armor to be battle ready. Uh, my other son, Jude, plays soccer, and I coach him in that, and we love that. But every time before a game, the referees call the boys, and they're about 9, 10, or 11 years old. And they call the boys, and what do they do? They check their uniforms. Why? Because they're 9, 10, and 11-year-old boys. Are you wearing cowboy boots for the game? Are you, you know, you have your shin guards? It's like jewelry, necklaces, you know, what, whatever. You you. You can't be ready for the game if you don't have the equipment on. And so they check. Make sure you have your cleats, you have your shin guards, you have your socks, you have your jersey. You're ready to go. You're ready for it to start. And what Paul's saying is, you have been given spiritual armor that helps you be battle ready on the battleship where you find yourself. And I'm not going to spend a, a ton of time, but in your program, go ahead and open that up if you can. And you should see another handout that has like the spiritual armor on. You, you have that? You see that? Hold it up if you have it. Just hold it up. There it is. Okay, good. This is for you as a reference. I'm not going to spend the whole time uh, going over this, but uh, it looks like this. Um, Harold Bullock, who's going to be part of the Relevate Conference, which we've been talking about, he created this chart. It's been a really help to me through the years. Um, but he, he basically has labeled each armor, its physical, physical function, its spiritual function, the temptation it fights against, and then the action to take. So I want to encourage you. If the battle is real and the spiritual dimension is actually here and we're in it, is it important for us to know the armor? Yeah. And then is it important for us to put it on? Yeah. So you can't in any sermon spend all the time needed on each piece of the armor. But in this handout, it's a summary for you to be able to use as a resource. 
Note it starts with the belt of truth. Now, what's fascinating about the armor in this comparison is that Paul is in prison and who's watching over him are Roman soldiers. Very interesting. I had this thought this morning. Even the circumstances that are dire in our life, God uses. Because if he hadn't have been in prison, it's amazing. What if we didn't have the imagery that we have? Like God used that circumstance to be a part of the revealed word of God that can give us this picture, and this analogy that, that is helpful to us. And so this is really, I think there's a picture of a Roman, Roman soldier. Do we have that? That's partly what, what he was looking at. I'm sure the person would have looked a lot more dingy. He might have been chained to him, literally. And he's just looking at this soldier and saying, this is, this is how you, you have to fight. But it starts with this belt of truth. Now, the belt of truth is God's word. And the soldier would put the belt of truth on first. This is very important. You put the belt of truth on first because it holds everything on place. Literally, the armor would rest on that belt. And so what Paul is saying is, if you want to fight and you want to know how to stand strong and you want to know how to deal with this battleship army that we're in, you have to know the truth of God's word. Again, that's how you're strong in the Lord. And so this belt of truth, it keeps all of your stuff in the right place. It keeps you from being entangled up. The spiritual function, if you look on the chart, keeps you from getting unexpectedly snarled and confused. Have you been confused the last few years in your life of circumstances? All of us. Well, God's word has a way of cutting through some of the confusion to give us clarity. And this belt of truth kind of helps it. And the temptation for us is just to compromise a little bit. Let small lies, angry thoughts, hurt at God continue unrectified. The action to take is keep checking the truth of what you think what you do, and what you say. Very interesting. The armor is really given to protect us from the inner things in our life. There's things that you think. There's things that you say. And there's things that you do that impact you. Some people don't even know it. They don't know what you do, think, or say. But the spiritual realm does. And so this is to, to, to fight and to protect us against the inner person. So what I encourage you to do is mine's a little different, but uh, look at this. Take a snapshot of, of the armor and begin to kind of work through this. Read the scripture again in Ephesians 6. And ask God to show you, this is one of the next steps, is you know, work through the spiritual armor and then just say, you know, is there any part of the armor, like I'm going out to battle and I don't have. Like I don't really, this isn't a part of me yet. It's like I have it, to put on, but I leave it a lot. And just, you know, ask God uh, to show you that. So in summary, with the armor, you can work through that yourself. When under attack, you, you, you have to put up the shield. That's the shield of faith. You can read more about that. And then you, you have to swing the sword. That's the truth. So most of the battles come from wrong thoughts or thinking or accusations. And the shield of faith is God will not rip me off. He will take care of me and then you claim the truth. So again, this is like close encounter, hand-to-hand combat. So there's a lie that comes, the shield of faith. God will take care of me. His word says so. And then you quote it. And my God 
take care of all your needs according to his riches in glory. You swing the sword. This happens again and again and again. And the scriptures are saying is you keep fighting and you keep fighting and you keep fighting until the lies have let up after you've done everything to stand. Does that make sense? So that armor, I encourage you to look through. But that belt of truth is, is really important. I don't know if you've ever read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. Um, here's, a, here's a quote. It's a senior demon training a junior demon on how to keep a person from doing what God wants. C.S. Lewis is very perceptive. And the screw tape letters is literally a training of a demon to another of the strategies. If you want to learn more about the schemes, read the screw tape letters. It was written a long time ago, but it's very perceptive on the inner workings that's happening. And screw tape encourages his protege Wormwood to avoid argument and focus on jargon or propaganda. He says, this is Wormwood talking to his pro, or this is screw tape talking to Wormwood. He says, your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to having a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside his head. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. And later in the letter, he says, do you remember or do remember that you were there to fuddle him? C.S. Lewis was British. That was like a British word. I like it. But the enemy is there to fuddle us. And the way that we get unfuddled is the truth. And so I hope through all of this, through what we've talked about and being rooted together, we end on this note. We are in a war, but we don't fight alone. We have God who leads us forward in the battle, and we have the church, we have each other that are the spiritual army of God. We are family, we are brothers and sisters. That's what the church is, but we are also soldiers, and we must fight. And the battle begins within us every day. We must fight. So my question is for you. Will you join in the battle together? Will you rally with this church to stand against the spiritual forces of evil? May God raise us up to be the soldiers that he's called us to be on the battleship. And through the end of our life, as we look back and we look at the cruise ship that's degraded, that's old and run down, and we think, the battleship was the best life we ever had because we were shoulder to shoulder moving forward the mission of God in the darkness with his light. That's what God has called us to. In light of what we're doing next week, launching two services, I just want you to be aware, church, God is with us and the enemy wants to come against us. This week, as you're ramping up to help and volunteer, there might be more attacks than there are in normal. There might be equipment next week that breaks down more than, I don't know how many Sundays we've had problems with our equipment that is unexplained. Next week, the truck may not start. Sorry, team, I know. <laughs> but it could happen. You may get in a fight Sunday morning, Saturday night. So as we move to extend and draw wide and dig deep and stand strong, all sorts of things can happen, but we don't have to be in fear. God will help us in our time of need, and he's given us what we need uh, to fight. 
And so I just encourage you, we're entering new territory as a church. We've never been here before. Next week is the beginning of a brand new chapter. And I can't wait to see what God does. But we're not on the harbor on a cruise ship. We're in the deep waters, the rough waters. And it's a fight. And so I'm glad that we can fight together. As I close out, the band's gonna come up. I wanna just give you some next steps that you can take. Um, I think I've already mentioned them, except for one, but the first is just spend some time this week working through the spiritual armor handout. Again, that's, that's for you to just learn some more and learn a little bit more of the attack. The second, uh, read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Uh, if you've never read this book, I encourage you to. It will be a help in the battle. There'll be some times where you have to just kind of reread it. C.S. Lewis books can be like that at times, but it's very helpful and perceptive. And then last but not least, um, I want to encourage you personally to invite somebody to our service next week. I think a lot of people, like Joel mentioned, they're taken out of the battle because they're so embittered and angry at people, and they're offended, and there's relationships that are broken. As we talk about no offense, we're talking about really the freedom that we have in Christ to forgive because we've been forgiven. So we're going to spend some weeks digging into the scriptures about how do we move past the fence. And God has placed people in your life on purpose for you to be a light to them. Again, like Paul said, so I may have boldness to share the mystery of Christ with others. And so I just want to encourage you, next week is the perfect time to invite. Most people receive an invitation a few days before they're deciding their calendar, so invite somebody. And I encourage you, write their name down. See their face. That's what helps you, kind of the opportunity that God may bring. And last but not least, I think this is the last next step. Um, we have a Relevate conference uh, coming up in uh, November. And it starts Wednesday night. It's going to be a time of worship, connecting with people on Wednesday night, and then Thursday, uh, all day, and then Friday, I think, till 3. This is, conference is going to be talking about, actually, how do you get leverage over your emotions, a lot of which is what we're talking about today. It's like, how do you fight? And you're going to get to hear from Harold Bullock, who created the handout of the spiritual armor. Um, he's the keynote speaker. And Harold is the wisest man I've ever met. And this is a unique opportunity because you get to hear from him in Southern California. He's coming, and this conference is in Huntington Beach. For many years of my own training, people within Church in the Valley, our sending church, we would go two times a year to Fort Worth, Texas to a conference for 18 years. And it was probably the best investment I made in my life. And there's an opportunity you have to actually go to Huntington Beach, which is a lot cheaper than Fort Worth, Texas, to get help, to get perspective. But it will cost you. It will cost you money. It will cost you time. And it will cost you values. You have to decide there's all sorts of important things in my life. How do I fit this in? And you just have to make a choice. So I don't know if there's an easier opportunity than this one, but it will still be a fight to get there. But I just want to put this on your radar. Uh, on our event page, you'll find the registration for that. And this is something that's not pressure-filled. 
It's not guilt-filled, but it's a tremendous opportunity. So I encourage you to, to consider it. Let me pray. I'm gonna pray for next week, and I'm gonna pray for us as a church as we move forward fighting the battle that God's given us. Let's pray together. God, we praise your holy name. We thank you for your word, which helps us to see what's really going on. We thank you for the book of Ephesians, which we've been able to work through as a church for the truths that have helped us and motivate us towards the right things. God, we thank you so much for the work you're doing in our church. You are our general, you're leading us forward, and we follow you. We submit to you. We wanna do your will. So God, as we draw wide next week, as we expand our services and things get more complicated and and all sorts of things can happen, Lord, we, we trust in you that as we extend ourselves to reach more people for your kingdom, you'll help us. We pray right now for people being invited, for those who've received door hangers and flyers and invitations at the park, I pray, God, that you will soften their hearts to come. God, we ask that we can be a part of releasing the prisoners of war caught in the darkness so they can come into the kingdom of light. Soften their hearts that they'll come. We pray against circumstances and uh, other offers. We pray against other things on their calendars. We pray against sickness that could prevent people from coming. And God, we pray also for our church that we will be bold in how we invite others and how we extend the hope that we have in Christ to those around us. God, we pray that you will fortify our church in the name of Jesus. We ask that you will keep us strong according to your word, that we'll find the strength in you and the power of your might. And God, we thank you that you are stronger than he who is in this world. And victory is yours through the power of Jesus, we pray in his name, amen.